so how do I look? I think you look really good. I think stunning. Can you get my brush? And brave. Here he comes. I really like this look for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love this look for you. <laughs> what up, dude? Jump out. <laughs> what are you at? I'll do the glasses maybe for for a no, moment. You we just gotta get a shot of the wig, then for you can take photo. it off. You don't have to you don't have to keep the wig. Uh, <laughs> what? Obviously, we take bank failures very seriously. True. I had Wait, a wait where's his wig? I had a run on my hair like 10 or 11 years ago. <laughs> it happened hair. gradually, then suddenly. A run on the hair bank? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Thank you, Nicole. Let's see. This is bringing you back to your hair days? I used to have flowy hair. Not quite like this, but Duncan, you've seen my license. I think, I think the I think I'm skipping the wig cap. No, you gotta yeah. put the wig on. Oh no, no you the cap. The wig yeah. On. What's a wig cap? It's the thing that pulls the hair back if you have hair. This is amazing. Okay. That's not shaped. Oh, this is too this is too Take good. That thing off. The hairnet. I'm wearing this to the train. I mean, this is probably like a great way to not get mugged because people are gonna be like. That guy's crazy. Psycho. That guy. <laughs> that guy has people in his basement. Okay. This is like, this is like very temporary. So is the time to put it on now? I, I think if you'll just wear it for the first like two or three topics. I'm very no. I'm very sensitive about my actual hair not okay, getting too much. Okay. Put it up. on and then just like. Do like a candid smile or something, and I'll get a shot. This is fantastic. Wait, glasses with it. Glasses really. Hold on, let me. Wait, let me, how are my bangs though? The bangs look. Let me let me FaceTime my wife. This actually looks really good. <laughs> the last honestly, time, what did she say? She honestly, said you're no. all looking you're like, very oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> no. You guys look like the original. Oh my god, this is too much. I know you're using this now, but do you actually need a laptop stand for the show? No, I do not. All right, cool. Hi. Oh, you think you're Irish now? <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? It's St. Patty's Day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How do I look? You know, that's perfect because the boys are trying to catch Lucky the Leprechaun tomorrow morning, so you could be here. Ooh. I think it works. Bye. All right. Okay, put the headphones got, on. The headphones it on, too? It's like you're podcasting. All right. My, my eyeballs are under duress, so I'm going to fight through. You have to, like, swipe it to the side, I think. How does hair work? All right. So, Do we look pretty at least? Ah, you bud. All right, I'll put that on when, when we're done. I didn't even, that was you then. I didn't, I didn't feel a shock. It was not me. How would you feel it? I feel, I feel it in my ears. I like that it's happening to Michael though. But I feel it. Okay. All right, test. Can everyone, we good? Put my mic on! All right, look up. Oh, we good. Up the S&P 500's up 160. Try to look serious though. Hell yeah, we're good. <laughs> we're back. We got it? Okay. And maybe, like, what's the most uh, Irish thing you could do? You know, like, pose Trick a Guinness? Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we All right. got it. This has got to go. You look incredible. You got to leave. You got to leave yours. You look incredible. Can you at least do the sunglasses? I'm, I, I need credibility, though. All right, hold on. Dan, I bought Google today. Yeah. Congratulations. Thoughts and prayers? Thoughts why, and prayers. Why are tech stocks ripping? I, I don't know. Maybe because the world maybe isn't ending. I don't know. So There's a lot of I don't know right now. Well, Josh knows. So an update from the suburbs. Last summer, oh, I, was, this is good. I was growing tomatoes behind my shed, as one does. Mm -hmm. No, That's, tell them why. Tell them why. Why was I growing tomatoes? Why would you possibly grow them behind your shed? Oh, because Sprinkles is like, 
I don't want animals. I'm sorry, who is Sprinkles? My wife. Okay. I don't want animals in my backyard. And when you plant stuff, it attracts animals and bugs, and we don't need that shit. And I pay a landscaper thousands of dollars. Why would you junk up our backyard? This is all true. This is like literally sprinkles. Like, why do we need pots of shit in our backyard (laughs) attracting? I said, what kind of animals do you think we're going to attract? Like deer? They're not. It's the South Shore of Long Island. They would never come here. So anyway, the summer goes by. I get bored with it. It's too many tomatoes. Nobody in my house is eating it. I can't eat 800 cherry tomatoes a summer. So I throw the whole thing out in like July, August. It's like, all right, that was fun for 10 seconds. It's not really not me. I don't have hobbies that require patience. Like right. the whole thing is a misfit with, with me. So you get rid of it. Last week, my kids looking out the window, the biggest, most pregnant rabies laden raccoon <laughs> you have ever seen climbs up out of the shed so my daughter is 17, so of course she's filming the whole thing. Right. That's just the it's on def- TikTok already. Default setting is it's being filmed if you're doing it. Right. So sends a group text to my family, just like, oh my God, what the hell is this? It's so big and so scary looking. And raccoons don't come out in the daytime if they don't have rabies. I don't know if you know that. I did not know. Fun that. fact. So it's something wrong with it. It's sick. Right? Okay. And probably pregnant. It's so fat. Uh anyway, long story short. The landscaper comes with a trap, puts the trap in, baits it with giant oversized marshmallows. Uh, that night- Oh, the, rob- the raccoons passed the marshmallow test, right. so they didn't go for it. No. That night, there's a raccoon in the trap. We, we see it from outside the bedroom window. Like, all right, in the morning, Frank will come and take the trap away. The morning comes, the trap is turned on its side. The metal is dented. The mud underneath the trap is dug up like there was a, a monster truck uh, show. Can I just say good for him? I think he had help. I think an, another raccoon came and pushed the door open from or, outside. Well, there, or something bigger came and something, he was the snack. This thing cannot get out. Like the, the guy's explaining. He's like, did you let it out? Are you kidding me? He's like, well, somebody let this thing out because a normal raccoon can't get out of this trap. So they bring a bigger trap the next night. We haven't caught anything yet. There's bacon and cantaloupe in it. This whole thing is like a Shonda. So your wife was right. So she called me up today. She goes, this is why This is why I hate you. You ruined our summer. I'm like, what do you, you mean? You ruined She's, the summer. We're going to have to spend the whole summer trying to trap this son of a bitch. Like, it's like a, it ate through the side of the shed. It's a good like it's, children's movie comedy premise. No, this is like a real thing that I have to now answer for. Like, why did you have to grow tomatoes? I'll just go to Trader Joe's. Like, we don't need tomatoes. You definitely don't need hundreds of tomatoes. <laughs> and, and she actually ended up being right. At least the landscaper you know? told her. She's like, why us? This doesn't happen in this neighborhood. He goes, I don't know. Didn't you tell me your husband was growing shit behind the shit? <laughs> um, so anyway. Well, that's, congratulations, you ruined the so. summer. Uh, so that's what's going on. Before we start, we can't talk any of those positions. Fire, fast, fire. Never. Why would we? Anyway, so that's a lot of fun. And uh, you live in the city, right? Yep. Okay. No plans to leave anytime soon? Unfortunately. No. Oh, how are you? how's your no, foot? Good. How's Stay your there. leg? I'm walking again okay. poorly, but I'm walking again. Are you, nice. You're like doing rehab and stuff? Yeah. A lot of like rubber bands and foam balls and stuff like that. Every time you feel good, it starts to hurt again. So it's going to back and forth. What did you, you, you hurt your ankle or your knee? I rolled my ankle and my foot broke. Doing uh, jujitsu? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't do that stuff. 
it's uh, it's a lot of fun until exactly <laughs> that moment. Kidding. That's not why. Do you miss uh, do you, where, how do you get your aggression out now? Like do you just like do? smashing things, yelling at interns. <laughs> throw a lamp. Yeah, I just ordered a bunch of cheap lamps off Amazon and just throw them at interns. Okay, good. How many interns do you have? Uh, not anymore. Okay. Yeah, because of the lamp problem. Because of the lamp. Thing. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Understood. That'll that'll happen. We did there. just have a new full time guy join, but I don't know. He's gonna, I don't know if he's gonna make it. Is it analyst lamps? Yeah. Okay. What do you need? Do you need like, you need analysts? I just need people that can dig. That are just gonna like love reading and calling people and okay going and visiting companies. Because you don't need administrative people because all of that stuff is outsourced, right? No, we we have a full time guy that handles all that, and then he works with some outsourced people. And as we get Probably in the next year, we'll probably need one more person. But there's so many tools now that you're really needing somebody that's managing those procedures rather than doing a lot Physically of Physically doing it. Yeah. And also, like, past – after Madoff, nobody wants hedge funds doing their own books. So you have an administrator that does – Third-party everything. Third-party everything. Do you have a chief risk officer? I am the chief risk officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, risk you, have officer. To, you have to be that. Yeah. That's the kind of the job. Right. Portfolio manager is the chief risk officer. Yeah. Oh, no. I was making an SVB joke. Yeah. wasn't that serious. Oh. I yeah. see. Okay. Nailed it. Nothing. Nailed it. Hey, if you leave that wig on, then I can't uh, call you Bald Tudor Jones. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, man. That's that's kinda, really but it's kind of like my favorite. That's so wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's pretty good. That's good stuff. Yeah. This is probably the best day for <laughs> – probably. what if this is the best week for stocks in like three months? Meaning looking forward three months or – No, like, in the, like what if this is like the best week we've had in the last three months? I mean don't you, don't you love this game? I mean it would be – it would I mean, make you sense. do it for a living, so I assume you do. Yeah, like the week that the week that two banks went under and Credit Suisse had to be bailed out, sparked the biggest Nasdaq rally <laughs> we've seen this year. Makes perfect sense. So I'm just eyeballing it. You know what? This look at this. This is definitely the biggest week of the year for the Nasdaq. Yeah. These are weekly candles. Banik We're is so up bullish. for the year. He's so bullish right now. I'm, it's like, not me. We, it's, I mean the market. It's not market me. It's talk. the market. I'm just listening to what I'm it's just saying. Just listening to the message of the market. Yeah. I'm just listening. I'm just listening. <laughs> Not trying to fight it. <laughs> I go where it takes me, like the evidence. Uh, all I'm right. Detective. And I'm going hey, in with how, the clocks. How are we doing? We're good? Looking great. Everyone's, good. everyone's ready to rock and roll? You know, I heard that line actually last night from Andy Garcia in a movie called Night Falls in Manhattan, circa like 1993. You ever see that? Yeah. Richard Dreyfus. I don't remember oh, it, but James I saw Gandolfini. It. Oh, really? It's on Prime. Somebody, a listener mm. recommended what it. What episode are we, John? Josh, 80, 84. 84. Oh, wow. Look at this. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's episode of The Compound and Friends is brought to you by our friends at Crane Shares. They have a webinar on Wednesday, March 29th. There is CE credits available. Roger Mortimer, great name, who is a portfolio manager, is going to be speaking with Luke Oliver, who I've had on Animal Spirits. He is the head of climate investments. The webinar is about this. Josh, tell me if you've got any thoughts. Go. From high emitting to high growth, opportunities from companies transitioning to renewable technologies. I'm in. When okay. is it? It's, when is it? It's, it's Wednesday, March 29th, 2023 at 11 a.m. What's EDT? I don't know. That's Eastern Crane Shares. Time. Eastern Daylight Time. Crane Shares with a K. The got- K is for quality. 
trainshares.com to learn more. Episode number 84, the St. Patrick's Day episode. And as, as uh, is customary, we have our favorite St. Patrick's Day guest with us today. You might know him on social media as Super Mugatu. Uh, his real name is Dan McMurtry, ladies and gentlemen, Dan McMurtry. Dan, you know, I actually quoted the real Mugatu yesterday. Like the Play-Doh, molding like Play-Doh. Yeah. Any type of dough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Dan is the co-founder and CIO of Tyro Partners. Uh, it's a hedge fund that invests in the tech, healthcare, industrial, and consumer sectors, as well as a fan favorite TCAF guest. Welcome back to the show. Do you get like... Uh, you get any feedback when you appear on the show? People excited to hear from you? Occasionally. I mean, we get some, we always get. Occasionally. Guys. <laughs> we, always, we always get some like nasty comments, but like 95% are people just being like, oh, this is great. And we always get good responses. To the what's, the nasty, what's the nasty comments? Hey, you, you have a career and I don't. Yeah, generally, more yeah, or less. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. You could read between the lines. Yeah. Can you imagine being mad at somebody who went on a podcast? I have just too much stuff to do. I don't, I don't know how people have time to be angry at people they don't know. Oh, I have, have enough people I know who I'm upset oh, with. Oh, they have plenty That's of time. That's a good point. That's yeah. the pro- they uh, have plenty of time. That's the problem. All right. First things first. Uh, everything's basically good now. Is that is that what we're saying? Not really. Credit Swiss is saved. Well, all right. Wait, let's just – let's write in. No, write in. Write in. This all is right. the thing that happened chart like, on. just now. Chart on. So you could look at this chart of credit default swaps for Credit Suisse blowing out – and say and say, holy shit, uh, we're all gonna die. Or and I, I don't know who the chart came from. My apologies. There's no there's no credit here to be given. Or you could say, well, actually, credit default swaps at other European banks, UBS, Deutsche Bank, Sockgen, BNP, not exactly the healthiest banks, are not doing anything. There is no contagion outside of Credit Suisse. It is a shit bank. It was a shit bank. Probably will always be a shit a two, bank. It was a two dollar stock last week. It's not new. Nobody's like blown out of the right. Like nobody's, um, can we just a definition for people that don't manage global macro hedge funds or are not financial journalists and don't really understand what CDS is like in layman's terms, basically these are people buying insurance against the solvency of the the solvency, the default risk, whatever of an institution. And, uh, this is like where you would look if you're looking for like real stress. So it's just like put options on steroids. Like if you were bearish on on Credit Suisse, you buy credit default swaps and now you just got paid. Yeah, I mean these are a lot more tricky than put options, which are also these are not re- these are not retail. No, no, this is international bank of settlement stuff. Like right. you have to like Duncan puts the shit on. Yeah, this is only Duncan level trading right. and higher. Right. Yes. Okay, so who's who is buying CDS on Credit Suisse? Is it mostly? their counterparties in the banking world or and or hedge fund speculating who else is in this marketplace it's bill wang i mean it's mostly sophisticated you know it's going to be banks it's going to be a certain type of hedge fund but i think one of the things and this is similar with put options once they get over a certain level of expensive they don't offer you a crazy nonlinear payoff and so they become a lot less interesting to most people, and then you end up with a very specialized market. There are people sometimes who have to buy these things because they have to have insurance against maybe a counterparty or right. something like that. But the issue is if you have to pay some crazy amount to insure your counterparty, you're probably just going to stop trading with them. That's right. That's <laughs> right? a better insurance plan. Yeah. Unwind and ignore. Right. So Credit Suisse is what's called the GSIB, a globally systemic important – did I get that right? GSIB. Globally systemically important yeah. bank. Sounded weird coming out of my mouth. Right. But how many are there? I think there's like 20 of them. 
I mean, this is obviously one. This so is this is one of them. So here's here's here are the numbers. Credit this is from Felix Simon. Credit Suisse had total assets of five hundred seventy four billion dollars at the end of twenty twenty two, down thirty seven percent from nine hundred twelve billion dollars at the end of twenty twenty. Its asset management arm supervises another one point seven trillion dollars. Last night. Its largest shareholder, the Saudi National Bank, said they can't provide any more capital because of uh, they can't own more than ten percent of bank, and the government stepped in. So that's what trig- that's what triggered like this race to buy CDS is that the Saudis and I guess other sovereign wealth funds were like keeping this thing afloat. Is that your understanding of it? I'm not sure. I mean, I think one of the key points of distinction that maybe is missed in like the Twitter discourse or some of the media is that there is a significant difference between a bank continuing to operate under a certain name and there being any payout for the equity, the preferred shareholders, the the bondholders, things like that. And so there are real scenarios where from a customer's perspective, there's not that much disruption in a lot of these firms, but a lot of other people get impaired. And then you have a bunch of weird regulatory issues here where, you know, you can't over, own over a certain percent. The, you know, JP Morgan isn't going to be allowed to just buy every other bank. There's all sorts of weird pressure points here. Why did the Saudis feel the need to put that out there that we can't buy anymore? Did anyone at, was this in response to somebody being like, are you going to buy more Credit Suisse? Probably. Actually, I don't know. This, maybe I don't, this is I don't genius. Know maybe they're that. like, we're out and the government, it's on you. And so it probably worked. Maybe that was it. This was a good moment to rip the Band-Aid off, I guess. Um, they you never got, know if there was a reason or no reason. Okay. Uh, Credit Suisse had a total assets of $574 billion I just did that. At the end of 2022, down 37% from $912 billion at I the still, end of 2020. I still, just, I still just did that. Asset management arm supervises <laughs> another $1.7 trillion in assets. Uh, did that one as well. Very good. Well done. Uh, <laughs> All right, so I'm just trying to understand now. They got $54 billion line of credit, effectively, from the Bank of Switzerland, which is basically the government. And they had 200-something billion dollars on deposit. or something. So it's like they have access to the equivalent of 25% of their deposit base if, in fact, they need to draw on it, which probably eliminates the need for them to have to draw on it because maybe whatever deposit or ex- exodus they were worried about— what do we got here? Deposits plunge. I mean, this is really something. Look at this. Holy moly. Does it? Yeah. Oof. And it's obviously worse now. This 400 is billion to 250 billion. Yeah, that's bad. Here's a great lead from, from Bloomberg. They said, Credit Suisse's families have included a criminal conviction for allowing drug dealers to launder money in Bulgaria. It was cocaine, by the way. Entanglement in a Mozambique nice. corruption case. A spying scandal involving a former employee and an executive in a massive leak of client data to the media. Its willingness to engage with clients that some other banks avoided, such as disgraced financier Lex Greensill and failed New York-based investment firm Archegos Capital Management, lost at billions of dollars and compounded the sense of, a, of an institution that didn't have a firm grip on its affairs. So it's so global that they were like involved with crimes on every continent. It's really, I mean, it's, it's highly impressive. Like if, if, if you say nothing else, it's very impressive. They, there was an article six months ago about a guy they hired whose job it was to run around the world and settle all these court, like just get, like bury this stuff, get rid of it. Was it Ray it, Donovan? It was not, but it's like a similar type of story. And I guess it, this stuff caught up to it before they had a chance to do that. So are you, so when you, when you go like Monday morning or Sunday night, you're thinking about, all right, what, what's, how is this going to impact my portfolio? Mm-hmm. Where's your head going? Uh, I, we don't really do a lot of financials, um, but I think that the big, the big issue and the big question right now 
is really, is this going to have a domino effect where it affects credit availability for the rest of the economy? And as long as it stays isolated to an individual bank, that bank's shareholders, that bank's bondholders, there's not that much risk. There isn't that much cross leverage and, and cross default issues that you had in 08. It's, it's a very different situation. It's a little bit more like savings and loan. But the, the big high level problem right now is you just had the Fed raise interest rates, right, in the last year. Now, if you, people are talking about deposits, but not all deposits are the same. So if you have a checking account, you're getting like nothing on that, right? Right. But if you have a savings account or a money market account, which you would, you know, a normal person would think is a, is a deposit, well, you might be getting four or 5% on that right now. And a lot of money was sitting in checking type accounts where the bank didn't have to pay anything to have that cash. And what has started here is because there's some general anxiety, a lot of people are just logging into their account and going, I think my bank's fine, but you know what? I'm just going to move over to the money market. Yeah. You know, just And now the issue is when we're talking about deposits in terms of what it means to the bank, that's not entirely the same as you pulling your money out of the bank, but it's a lot closer to that than you'd think because all of a sudden they're having to pay 4 or 5%. Just keep the deposits just on Just keep hand. the deposits. Yeah. And – Okay, if they want to go buy long bonds, they're not getting 5%, right? And so if you look at a lot of banks right now, you look at basically what they were paying for the deposits last year versus what they were getting on all these assets they own. And they were getting, you know, depending on the bank, loans, bonds, all that, less losses. They're getting like 2 2.5%, maybe 3%, right? And they were paying 0.8%. Yeah. So all of a sudden, as this is happening, across the board, banks' costs are going from percent somewhere down there, to increment the incremental dollar is 4 or 5%. And if you're a bank that's in trouble, you have to offer something above that because why is somebody going to take a risk when they can get 4 or 5% with no risk? Right. So the banks are kind of, in general, backwards right now on, you know, it's, it's the opposite of like how people think banks work. Like right now they are having to pay more than they're receiving to, to buy earn these less. assets, right? And then earning less internally. Right. Yeah, this is an this is the opposite of what the story was last year. Right. Like at the end of last year, the story on financials was net interest margins will rise because intermediate term rates are going up and right. uh, funding is still cheap because there's so much money in the economy. People are keeping. But they did. But interest huge balances. Did they did. Yeah, rise. But the curve going. Yeah. People talk about the curve, and and that's like something that everybody uses, and then it's not explained a lot. But what we mean by that is that. Short-term deposits, short-term lending, short-term borrowing, your six-month to two-year T-bills. Right. That that rate is much higher than long-term interest rates right now. And but, so that's, but that's also higher than what the banks are paying out. So they're still But they're that's still because people were leaving their money in checking, right. right? And so the issue right now is that if you're at a bank and you, you know, you're just like, okay, um, I'm going to – I haven't looked at my bank other than just checking my statements in a year. All of a sudden you look and you go, I'm hearing scary things about banks. I don't know what's going on. And I'm only right. getting 1%. If you, you don't have to actually pull your money out of the bank to hurt the bank. If you just switch it into a different type of account where you're getting some yield. They're making less. So Bank of America. Might, they might be making negative. Yeah. Bank of America got $15 billion in deposits after uh, SVB failed. And I imagine that JP Morgan is the same, if not more. Somebody tweeted, I can't remember who, like a badass move would be JP Morgan to take rates to zero. <laughs> There's a technology <laughs> aspect to this story, though, that is there is no real corollary to 2008 um, in that it's never been easier and more casual to right. move money around. Right. And that's probably something that's going to have to be looked at. And of course, there are going to be hearings on this shit and Senate Finance Committee and uh, 
the regulators, they're all going to have to say, well, how do we make it so that a bank doesn't lose $40 billion in 24 hours? Right. Like, because that's, that's a really big part of the story. This is not like, you know, 20 years ago, if you really wanted to move money from one bank to another, you had to show up at the second bank, open a new account, then go back to the first bank, get a cashier, a certified check or something. Right. Um, or you had to enact a wire. This is a whole new, this is a whole new world where you can do that shit like from a bathtub yep. on, on your phone. And that is, I think, something that is going to be a bigger part of the story when they look back and say, how is it possible that a bank was healthy Monday and dead on Wednesday? Crazy. Right. To me, the story this week inside the markets are the lack of panic in junk bonds. Junk bonds are ripping today. They'll mm -hmm. probably finish up the week. You're not seeing any stress in, in senior loan or bank loans. You're not seeing any stress in investment grade. The VIX is barely moving. Yep. Um, but where you are seeing a f ton of volatility is in interest rates. So is that we a got, technical term? We have a few charts. It is. We have a few charts on this. Um, so so uh, this is the U.S. yield curve for the week. John, chart on, please. I mean, this is madness. Not something that you expect to see, right? Just like total insanity there. Uh, the 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 market is now pricing in a hundred basis points of rate cuts by September. That's like overnight. Like that it went from oh my god they're going to do fifty to what if they don't do anything and start cutting. So right. it's a, that's a huge pivot. So three weeks ago, after you got the PCE data, that's the orange line that we're looking at. You had Fed funds rate going out uh, all over five percent for the rest of the year into January. That's what the market was pricing in, and then boom, you got this panic. Over the weekend, and there we go. That's the bottom two lines. Just so since collapse. March 15th, expectations for 5% interest rates. Gone. Uh, gone. Just, gone. Gone. Just completely gone. So this is the conversation. Maybe this is why stocks are ripping is because people are saying, okay, the panic will cause the Fed to chill out a little bit. Although there's still a 50-50 chance of, of 25 or pause. Do you, do you look at your holdings or your allocation in, in through the lens of – how interest rate sensitive is my portfolio? Yes. Okay, but that also then can create opportunities yeah. on the long and the short side also. Right. So how do you think about that? Or how do you gauge that? Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at bonds, people talk about duration. Are you owning like short-term bonds, medium-term, long-term? There's a similar dynamic with equities. You know, if you own a growth company, the idea is they're going to pay you back a long way in the future. Now, the problem is if you can earn 5% every year between now and the future – the future becomes less interesting, that's more right. or less. And and that's just, you know, a discounted cash flow, basically. Um, but if you have a business that's producing, that's throwing off a lot of cash that's not really exposed to the economy, as the valuation comes down, you start to care less and less about what the interest rate is within reason. And then there are certain points, you know, there's, there's, there's certain levels on everything where at the end of the day, if the world doesn't end, you're buying, right? And so kind of the first exercise we're doing on every company is like, okay, the smash glass, the market's down 30% tomorrow. What price do we buy kind of no matter what, assuming that the world is not right. magma, right? And then from there, we try to build into what do we need to be sure about in order to deploy risk capital here? Um, and, and, and we do mostly things that are not super big weights in the index, things like that. So the stuff we do is a little, it's not necessarily less liquid, but the liquidity is very variable. And so it can trade really, really crazy relative to S&P yeah. large cap stocks. What, like big uh, bid ask spreads or well, more volatility? Well, it's more like, you know, if, if you're looking at stocks that are like one to 20 billion, which is generally what we tend to be investing in, you can have a month where on the average day it trades 25 or $30 million. And then you can have a week where on the average day it trades 700 grand. Yeah. 
And like during that week, if you need to move in or out, good luck because yeah. the price is going to go nuts if you try to move. I mean, it, people with Robinhood accounts can move these stocks yeah. on, on weeks like that. So right now, I mean, when we're looking at a lot of the things that we trade, that's happening. Liquidity is super low. So as we're looking at these price moves, it's hard to tell what's in them because really, really small. Everybody's – I wouldn't say – I don't think Wall Street's scared. I think Twitter's really scared. If you look at most of the headline inde indexes, they're up for the year. I'm not seeing that much actual fear from kind of big money participants um, because a lot of the type of risk we're dealing with right now has already been hedged out. Um, but, you know, people are very anxious, and so there's not as much trading activity in a lot of the things that I look at. And so really, really small buys and sells you're seeing – I mean, just look at like some of these stocks intraday. I mean, they open up down 60 percent, then they're up 50, and then – I mean, this is just an incredible amount of volatility. Are there stocks that you – or uh, stories – where you would be short and then interest rates plunge the way they just have. And you say, you know what? This company might not be as challenged as I, th I thought they would be a couple of weeks ago. Or, yeah. or is that too sensitive to recent no, no, price? No, no, no. It depends. It depends what the type of company is. And, and also depends like why, why are interest rates being cut? What if it's like a green wig manufacturer? Right. Yeah, for example. Yeah, for example, theoretically a green wig manufacturer. Shamrock wigs. If, it's, if, if you're talking about a company that you think needs access to credit, Right. And under normal circumstances can get access to credit, but credit is tightening and all of a sudden if they lose access, they might blow up. Yeah. Then you're 100% going to cover that short if interest rates start to ease. And there are things like that. Like there are businesses that are not great businesses. They do like 5% return on capital and all of a sudden their cost of capital is 7 or 8%. So they're borrowing for 8% and they're earning 5 they're backwards. And it's, not, it's not impossible though. That rates come down right, and also the market's scared, but yeah. also liquidity for these companies doesn't reappear magically. So, uh, Dan, I want to get your take on liquidity. And, like, people, I think, I'm sure there's a ton of retail traders that got run over in mm -hmm. the last couple of days trying to be cute and catching bottoms and whatever. Yeah. So, I know you paid a lot of attention to this stuff, so I want your thoughts on this. What, like in the TBT? Like, like, sh like being short the 30-year bonds? No, I'm talking about, like, regionals okay. specifically. But right. we could talk, I'm going to through the lens of regionals, but just bigger picture, what are your thoughts on this type of dynamic? So this is from uh, JP Morgan's financial trader, Barry. I don't know who that is. Zero Hedger is tweeting this. Quote, we are continuing to see supply in regional banks. And while some long-only sellers are starting to cancel orders and go OTD, the sales, what does OTD stand for? Uh, uh, zero data expiration. Oh, zero. Okay. The sell skew is too dominant to prevent some trading halts due to volatility. Some investors are more worried about owning a stock that eventually goes into receivership and not selling it as opposed to beating a rival price VWAP or whatever trading metric is usually used. Those are out the window. We have started to see some buying on the margin, but supply continues to overwhelm, overwhelm demand on our desk. And when they say supply buying on the margin, they're talking about the regional banks. Right. So just this idea of like buyers and sellers and duking it out, like how who do you think about it? Who is selling well, like First Republic. So how do you think who about all this? Who's selling all that stock? Like, forget about there's no buyers. Who, who That's a good the, point. I'm trying to think of like, who is blowing this stock out? It's the the founding family that owns 30% from 1910? Or, ET, or like bank ETFs? Like, I, who is selling this shit? The, well, one is bank ETFs. I mean, you have a lot of portfolios, particularly on the big banks platforms. They have these kind of like factor rotation portfolios that have yeah, gotten yeah, pretty yeah. big. And- I think there's a there's a fundamental and a technical angle here. So the fundamental angle is I think the concern about whether or not the equities of these companies are impaired, I think that's much higher than any fear about there being a risk with the bank in the way we just saw with SVB. I, okay. I think, right? Like, so a lot of these guys are looking at it and saying, okay, for example— 
you're saying the the, the bank accounts are okay. The stock price is not. The it bank's ability the, to make money. The, the, the company, the yeah, company right. is not. Permanently right. net. The, permanently the NIM, the net interest margin, and the EPS, earnings per share, are both potentially impaired for a large number of small and, and mid-sized the banks. Depositors aren't coming back. It's going to be – well, you're going to have to incent them, right? right? And, and the issue right now with everything in the market is – I don't know where the two-year is today, but 4 or 5% for zero risk. Yeah. Not a little – that, hur- that hurdle is insurmountable right. for certain so, situations. But, but okay, local bank of, you know, not Cleveland. Hawaii. Pick one. Yeah, actually, the Hawaii bank is, a friend I of mine thinks it's very good. Solid. A friend, friend of mine actually likes All the Hawaii right. bank. Pull, but, pull the trigger on that while he's talking. Uh, the, um, I don't know anything about it, but, um, you oh, know, I Kansas. I accidentally typed up, somebody was talking at the Federal yeah. Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, yeah. and I was looking for, like, the bonds, right. and I got the equity, FHLB. It turns out there's a bank called Friendly Hills Bank Corp. This is exactly what you're talking about. It trades by appointment. Like <laughs> There's no volume. Well, okay, but here, here's the issue, right? If you're a small bank, right, and all of a sudden you're – in order for you to get more deposits, you got to offer like 6 7%, I don't yeah, know, 8%. Luck. Good luck doing that. Well, then at the same time, you have to go – when you lend money in your community, you got to charge significantly over that because you got to make more than that and you got to factor in losses. So that kills the economy. Well, it – if if this became a system wide issue, it could be a problem. Now this so is still a very. So the borrowers have to pay eleven percent. They're not going to do that, right? And it just and it right. That's that's the one thing I think about. Now we're not seeing it any of the data. Um, I don't think there's any reasonable reason to think that's going to happen currently. But like that would be the actual bear case. It's not like oh eight where like there's a potential for the entire system to explode. The real scary thing would be if just like credit access everywhere shrinks really fast. And it's like way more aggressive than what the Fed's done. We have to agree without any data from this week yet. This is a watershed moment for credit availability for the year 2023. Maybe. Things are not going to be the same next week as they were a week before this. Or am well, I, I, feel like, I feel like it? maybe it's a contrarian take. Why, do you th- why is there a reasonable doubt that this won't happen? Because I, I think it really depends like what we're dealing with. And it's not like it was there were, you know, Silicon Valley is kind of a, a parody, right? Of like some insane stuff. There's so many good headlines of like, you know, uh, it's perfectly smoothie named. maker gets gets yeah. gets funded, right? There's a lot of stuff like that's easy yeah, to make yeah. fun of, but it's not like it was actually super easy for like most people to get a bank loan, anyway. right? Anyway, yeah. right? And that was one of the things, if you remember back like 2012, 14, 16, one of the things people talked about was the Fed was easing, but they couldn't really get lending going, right? Because the banks were still gun shy. Right. And and yeah. it's not like JP Morgan has like massively expanded their lending to local auto dealerships, right? right. I don't know how much exposure there really is there. And I think that there's a, there's a logical reason to think that could be a concern, but I don't really see how much of a change is happening there. And then at the same time, the weird circular part of this is that all this fear is causing rates to come in, which is basically easing. Panic is, is bullish. Which is helping the bank's balance sheets. So I traded Charles Schwab this week, and the two-year treasury fell 100 basis points in two days. And it's like, all right, let's say you were still worried about Schwab's right. treasury bond portfolio. Probably way less worried Given the price improvement that they've seen on that well, portfolio, by the way, the, the two-year went from three seven back up to four two. It's well, madness. But this, but this is this is why yeah. it's so chaotic, right? Is it's like, okay, so it's all fine, so it's all fine, so the bonds sell off again. So it's it's, right, right. It, it's very very circular, and I just, I mean, just be candid. I mean, you'll notice I'm here today and not on my desk. 
we're just at very low. Uh, we, we have a relatively large amount of cash relative to what we do normally because I, we're getting 4 or 5%. And we there's a lot of things we like and we have the investments we like long term and we know what prices we want to add things on. But I don't personally – and this is somebody who – I am a professional at doing this. I'm not interested in, in trading these things. You know, yeah. this is a knife fight and there will be some winners and there will be some losers. But I don't think most people listening at home – should be playing any of these games. Can I tell you something? I don't think this is even a, a great market for pros. No. Because the pros all had Silicon Valley Bank at a neutral at worst, but like the bank was fine. Two days, like it wasn't really fine. There were issues with the, the uh, you know, the uh, duration and all that, but like, it's not like the, a run on the bank was foreseeable. What was foreseeable, the short sellers nailed this thing, by the way. What was foreseeable was that things were getting much worse for this bank with every passing quarter. But I don't even think this, I don't even think you could find a short seller who was like, there's about to be a run on this bank. Like, I, no. I, I don't think anyone was thinking that it would turn this quickly. Uh, I give a ton of credit to the people that were short uh, signature and this, and I don't know how they do it because staying short these names after they've already fallen 30% and then getting another whoosh lower is like, it's got to be scary to be sitting on a paper profit like that and not take it. Yeah, I mean, we've had we've had short positions in the past where you have that kind of the big short movie moment where the thing right. is down a lot and you did yeah. all this research and, and it's your moment of victory, right? Wrong. <laughs> Stocks gets halted, opens up 250% in your face. You get a call, hey, your short's been called away. Yeah. That type of stuff happens. I mean, it's really sickening to keep these bets on. And then the other thing, if you're – if you have if you have any risk management, is uh, I mean if you work anywhere like you can't run size in any of these trades, like even if you were running and this is kind of my point to my team that we're discussing is I'm like are there things we could be punting around and trading sure, but there's just no way we could do more than basis points I mean a quarter or one percent maybe in one of these positions and what we're all going to sit around here for three weeks just staring at the chart trying to make. 0.05%. When yeah. we get 5% on our cash, yeah. no, this is insane. This is a really stupid right. When game. you're getting 5% of your cash, it's not like someone's like, hey, you can make 6% in the stock. Right. And you're like, oh, I'm in. No. You need so much more than that right. to justify taking It's not risk. a little bit. Yeah. That's right. And like, you need yeah. to show me like 25, 30% annualized type returns for me to even listen. Also, if you're short, if you're short a bank that gets cut in half, right? $100 yeah. a share to 50. Right the percentage of that position in your portfolio grows commensurately with that gain. So then it's like, well, we should cover some because this is now a much bigger position. Well, if you're using puts. If you're using puts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if you're bar right, if you're borrowing stock, it's not quite the same dynamic. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're, so the thing is, if you're, if you're using puts, the position gets bigger as it goes down. Right. Because right? you're say, basically long the short is the way you'd think about it. If you're using a short position, like you're probably not, I mean, most hedge funds are not shorting how much, equity, or, how much equity would like a hedge fund typically put up against a short? It's gonna it's gonna really like vary. An investment but, short, right? But I would say that like anything four percent or larger is extremely rare. Okay. And so when I I talk to people who are traded home and then they're talking about positions much larger than that, and I think really to go over like two percent of your capital on a short is really really ballsy. Um, and you know it, it needs to be like that's that's like. Why? Because, because theoretically the upside, the downside is unlimited in a, in a short or is there another reason? So 
I don't want to pick on our boy here. So Nick over here wrote a piece this week, and I was arguing with him about it. Not arguing, we were debating. But he was talking about concentration and, and yeah. leverage. Yeah. And shout out to Nick. I said, I said, Nick, leverage and concentration are not the, not the same. And he was like, but they're both. They end up being the same. Okay. But the key point I'd make about concentration versus leverage is, with concentration, there's two ways you lose money. You're wrong. Or you panic at the wrong moment. You got this big position in Amazon, it sells off, you sell the exact bottom. Um, with leverage, and so that means if your opinion sways, you can lose money, or if you're wrong. With leverage, if other people's opinion sways, that's enough. You're done. Yeah. And you can lose out. everything, not just that position. That's Tesla. Right? And so the the issue with your short, if you're short, especially if you're short illiquid things that are super high vol. Where there's weird, I mean, think about how many people are trading this stock. There's a chance that this stuff isn't going to settle right, and then there's just not going to be any shares available for you to be short. And so there's always a chance, like Volkswagen is a very famous one. Sometimes these things go up 150x for no reason before going straight to zero. And you could theoretically have a 1% short end up being a 50% hit to your fund. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, just like, ugh, like even if it's something you didn't even have that much conviction right. on. Right. You're like, oh, my analyst thinks I'll put like 0.4% on because I like my analyst and he believes in it. And then all of a sudden you're like 10% of my fund is gone. So how do you think about using puts versus shorting a stock? Puts are generally... Well, you have to get the timing right too well, on the put. The issue is the puts are generally way too expensive. Um, what what some people can do is you, you can actually... And you also have to, until recently, and this has been a big change for long short hedge funds in the last year. For a long time, really till 08, you were getting paid to short because you were getting cash back and then you got interest on that cash. And then for a long time, you didn't get any interest on your cash. So hedge fund so, managers used as an not as an excuse, a legitimate excuse as why it was harder to make money that yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, it was you just had a you had one fewer source of income. Right. One of your side hustles didn't work anymore. Yeah. And and now all of a sudden, you know, so if we have cash, what I would call long cash, if you just have cash in your portfolio, you're getting four or five percent, whatever money market is. Um, but if you short a stock and the cash you get from shorting it, you're not getting the full money market rate, but you're still getting like 4%, okay. right? So you've got 4% in your favor. And a year ago, you were actually paying borrow to short things, especially these high borrow stock, these like meme stocks. At certain points, you were paying like a 60% loan shark money yep. type rate. And that means even if the stock isn't the stock isn't working in your favor as a short, you're paying sixty percent. That was one of Robin. Know, that was one of no Robinhood uh, stock loan. Right, like that was that's a business. Yeah, that's and, a business. And so now it's now it's kind of reversing. Um, but the other thing you can do, back when that was happening, when you're having to pay really high rates to be short, you might actually go short a put against your short, and it kind of takes you out at a certain point. But it it just covers the vig you're paying to be short the stock. So if you were going to cover a stock, let's say, some why would you just own less puts? Well, you would no. You would be short the stock and short the puts. And so the idea is basically, let's say a stock at, at fifty dollars, and let's say we'd cover the short at twenty five. And you go, okay, if we sell a put at twenty five, meaning it takes us out automatically there, essentially, well, we get I don't know, making up a number two dollars. All right, well, that's four percent yield on a fifty dollars stock. That's pretty good. Right. And you can roll that. And it's the same way people people sell covered calls. It's the same thing, but way riskier. Dan, um, short, so shorting is something that. There's not like formalized education in that. You learn it from being at a long short yeah. fund. So many more people start their career on Wall Street in traditional asset management where shorting is just not part of the curriculum right. of the things that you witness in your day to day. Yep. So it's like a, a specialized group of people who have a specialized level of experience for the most right. part that know how the mechanics of this work, 
know like where the pitfalls are, yep. know where those extra profit centers are, et cetera. This is not something that most professionals should be doing, no. let alone- no, these are professional re- psychos. Let alone retail. Yeah. Like these are the, some of these people that have made money consistently shorting stocks are like elite. Would you say they're like the Navy SEAL of Wall Street? <laughs> would you say that? No, I have too many friends. I can't gas them up like that. They would They would never- No, but you have up. to be really fucking sophisticated to do well, this I, yeah. well oh, over multiple up. market cycles. Well, I would say a few things. Like one, yes, there's a lot of ways this can go wrong. Even the best of the best who've done it for a long time get hammered. It, the absolute returns you make shorting full cycle tend to be rough. Like it, it doesn't really make a ton of sense as a standalone product or a right. standalone strategy. Um, and then the the other thing that I think doesn't get brought up enough is that the psychological toll of doing it. If you think investing long is hard, it it rips you apart. And and a lot of it makes you like root against things going well generally a little well, bit, right? I would say it, I would say it a different way. That you have people sometimes who buy a stock, and you'll see them on Twitter and other places, and they will believe that there's like a conspiracy against their stock okay. for whatever reason. Okay. Now, when you're short a stock, there actually is a conspiracy. Yeah. Every single person at that company wants it to go up is working to beat you. Yeah. And all of their part business partners, there is an, when you short a stock, there is actually a group of people who are working together to beat you. You know that going in. And the system also, you're also betting overall that the system's not going to take things higher, which it will. And so there's a lot of things against you. And also, like, this is the other thing that's kind of dark about it is um, if you get, let's say you actually stumble upon, like, a real fraud, like, really bad guys. A lot of these guys just get away with it. Um, I used to, like, spend a lot of time looking at, like, these, like, exciting things because I think when I was younger, I was like, oh, it'll be like these books I read. And like all a these mystery. Crazy. Right. And it, it seems cool. And especially, man, when you find something and you're like, I sleuthed this out. It yeah. feels awesome. And then they never go down. And you pay a lot of interest on your short. And it's just an agonizing, stressful process. And in the meantime, you didn't just buy Google for the last 20 years. <laughs> Right, which right? you also would have made money on. And yeah. you just go insane. And so like- Do you think, you I think need Tesla to, did that too? Right. Like probably half a million people. It, it's it's a psychological black hole. Like he got away, like he did a lot of things that most com- company CEOs wouldn't even have the- It shouldn't have worked. The, the guts to have done. Right. And like one after another, things like fell his way. Pulled it off. And then he got so big that- there sure, is, I'll pay the fine. I don't give a shit. I don't know if there's anyone on the planet with bigger balls than Elon Musk. Yeah. I mean, that guy played like a Game of Thrones winner die, win die style game. And thus far, he's won. And, you know, and so I just think that there are there are certain games in the market that you can play. Short selling is one of them. Um, messing around with these bank stocks in our day during a crisis is another one. It's not – you're taking a lot of risk with your money. And that's a really serious thing to understand. But more importantly, you're taking what you're doing. Even even before thinking about whether or not you know what you're doing, you're taking real risk with your mental health. And I've Mm. seen serious pros have to like go literally live in the mountains alone because they're like broken spiritually, psychologically, and physically from doing this. You see guys get into short selling and uh, or get into like not short selling, get into a specific short. And then you you know you see them two months later and they've put on thirty pounds and they've been chain smoking and I mean it it breaks people. Right. It's a very special type of person that can do it for a long time. Yeah, I agree. These people, I mean, these people should be saluted just in right. terms of like 
what they have to endure. They go up against right. bad people. There are elements of the government that want them to lose money. Like there's, right. a, there's a lot going on there. So I, it's pretty incredibly difficult. Do, do people ever short a, a company that they like or is it usually yeah. emotional like they don't like the company? I would say that the, the probability with, with a few very notable exceptions, the probability that you survive for a long time as a short seller, if you only short things you dislike, is about zero. You know, there's like maybe like 10 or 15 people that that's all they do is short like bad people, but it's way, way harder. Most short sellers, they're not sh like, we short stocks, right? But we don't short stocks because I think the company is a fraud or I think it's a zero or I think the people are bad people. Um, I might short a stock because there's two companies in industry. They're both killing it. Uh, the last quarter, this one company had like an awesome, awesome uh, report. But for some weird reason, their margins were like twice what they're going to be normally. And then the other company had bad margins that quarter. And they're going to catch up. And so over the next year, yeah. they're going to reverse. And, yeah. and then people got really, really gassed up on one company. And so a lot of the companies that we short, we've been long other times. We'll go, okay, for the next year or two, it's been so good. Like there were a lot of things after COVID where it was so awesome. Everything was great for them. And we were long them for years. And then by like the end of 2020 or 2021, we're like, this is the top for sales, the top for margins, everything. And it's going to take two or three years for this to kind of work through. And it was also trading at like 50 times earnings or so something. Like live know? entertainment? All, all sorts of stuff, right? And so like, and then you're, and then the reason you're shorting it right is not even necessarily for us. We'd obviously like to make money on, on the shorts, but part of why it is is you're basically borrowing money against that stock to buy another stock. Yeah. Right. And so if I think, okay, there's no way this stock can do amazingly next year, but this one can, I can borrow against one and use it to fund the other. But it's not because like I think the company's going to fail or anything like that. that, and, that, that right, that's a know. different category. Some of the best shorts actually are just stocks that you think can't go up much. You don't even necessarily think they're going to go down. Right. Sometimes you find stocks where you're like, I don't really think this is going to go up or down like more than 10 or 15%, but I can borrow against it you and buy it. other stocks. So I want to yeah. talk about stocks that have gotten, gotten hammered recently and yeah. get your take on this. So year to date, these are winners. I'm talking about the reopening stocks. We're talking about cruises, yeah. hotels, Airlines, casinos. They've Ex all been experienced stocks. They've been monsters this, yeah. this, this, this year. So year to date, we're up 12, up 30, up 10, up 20, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Over the last five days, however, they've gotten pummeled. So my question to you, Dan, is, is this a read through to the consumer finally being at the end of the rope? Or, or perhaps are these stocks just pulling back after a monster run? Uh, no, this is, this is almost entirely, uh, Basically, head, basically not hedge fund positioning, but it's positioning. Uh, it's way too soon. We talked about earlier about like potential concerns about credit and all these other things. It's just way too soon to see any of that filter through to actual consumer behavior. If you look at like the but, but, but I'm asking, the stock's getting ahead of it or you're saying it's something else entirely? Well, I would say with particularly the casino stocks because I cover those pretty closely, they have predicted like – I don't know, 12 of the last five or, or, or 12 of the and last trade one on earning. China. It's like a whole, yeah, yeah. It's a whole it's, different it's, thing. It's going back to like th this is just basically po positioning and opinion and, and people being like, how do I? And a lot of it's now like people sh selling or shorting because they're like, what are other people going to think will lead? So it's like what you just said, but it starts to loop on itself. Well, let's, let's use here's United Airlines. Right. Okay. The last six months, United is up 20%. I assume inclusive of this. In the last uh, five days, it's down fifteen percent. Yeah, but like, right. look, and they had so, a profit warning. But so look at you look at United, and they all look like this. It was just right. after the bank thing; it was just a waterfall. Yeah. Right. 
Well, United specifically, though, warned on earnings. But right. they all look like this. But the, yeah. But the other thing, you, the other thing you, you know, for a lot of people, the way they structure their portfolios is based on volatility as the way they measure risk. And so when volatility goes up or implied volatility goes up, which just happened, what are you doing? <laughs> are you fluffing, your, you're fluffing it? I think he's going to take it off. I'm taking it off. Are it's, you braiding it? It's, oh my it's, my, 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 I'm getting a headache. When volatility goes up, it causes net. Well, you know who you look like now? Me? Like, not to brag. Oh. This is a good thing. Paul Schaefer? Yeah. 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 Look like uh, Schaefer. Was that Letterman? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. You got just it? Like yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, just we, like him. Yeah. Just we, like him. Relax. We, yeah. we all look alike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all so, right. The volatility causes people to take positioning off. And I think that's, and it's very, again, it's very illiquid. So a very small amount of buying and selling can move these things. Then it's a little bit self fulfilling. And, and honestly, like, who has the guts to step in and be like, no, I want to put a line in the sand and, and buy a ton of Delta Airlines right, right now. Not specific to Delta, yeah. but just, you know. Here's the next big catalyst. By the way, by the way, HRD close. No big deal. No big deal. Next big catalyst. Uh, FOMC next week. We already have CPI. CPI came in okay. No yep. problem. Some of the strategists have used this week as an opportunity to rethink how many more hikes they think are left. I think uh, Goldman said probably none now. That's where I am. I, I mean, what the hell do I know? I don't think there should be more. Again, what the hell do I know? Uh, here's Bank of America making the case for three more hikes. Uh, this is Ethan Harris. A number of press reports have pointed out that the drop in two-year treasury yields in the last few days was the biggest since the stock market crash of 1987. It's also considerably bigger than the drop in yields around the Lehman bankruptcy. I wasn't really aware that we had a bigger drop than back then. Um, he says, here we draw two lessons. We got this up. The market response seems way overdone relative to the financial event. And then two, the Fed has not done hiking rates. Um, the similarities to 1987, basically there was like a pause in the rate hike cycle and then it resumed right back up again. Uh, it's not clear to me what the stock market would even like at this point. Because I could see both narratives. The Fed pauses and does nothing after people are expecting 50 basis points as recently as a week ago. The narrative is either the Fed's done, you know, game on. Right. Or, oh, shit, they know something we don't know. <laughs> Things are <laughs> – yeah. I don't know which will win uh, in the real markets and which will win on finance Twitter. Right. But I could picture – couldn't you picture both versions of that? Yes, I think, I mean, I think they're going 25. I think you want to bearishly buy on that news, right? Is that is that the only way to do it? Can or you bullishly, bullishly sell? sell? Yeah. Yeah. I think you want to bullishly take profits. With, with I don't really know what the, I don't really know what the response would be um, by, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I know what the bond market response would be. Probably more of what we're already seeing, but maybe muted. Stocks, I don't know, Dow up a thousand. Wait, if what? Or Dow down what? a thousand. If what? If uh, if nothing, no hikes. So if they pause, I think you're overthinking it to think that like people will be scared. What do they know that we don't? I think if I think if they pause, the, st the Dow's up a thousand. Yeah. But but if what, it's down, you think too? If it's down a thousand, would I be shocked? Of course not. What so, do you think? What do you think? I don't think they're going to pause. I'm, I mean, I'm not betting on any of this. I just, no, no, my no, I opinion, my opinion is, I don't think they're going to pause. But if they did, I think we'd rally. I think we'd probably rally regardless because it's just uncertainty out of the way. Um, well, how about this? What about positioning? You like to talk about positioning. 
Uh, I li- just I just have no idea. The thing is, positioning data from yesterday means sure. very little. F- fair, but right. this, yeah, is long, this is long. This is long term. So Goldman Sachs prime global sh- long short ratio fell to a new multi year low. Now at one hundred seventy points. What is this? Me- what is this measuring? This is longs divided by shorts. I mean, how exposed their hedge funds are, right? Dan, am I am I stating that properly? So, I'm not sure what the specific one is, but that looks about right. So basically, people have as many shorts to longs as they have in. You know, it has this pretty pretty extreme short positioning, or just short relative to long. Same thing. All right. Uh, but my point is, it, like yeah. the momentum. If we get, uh, if we, like momentum could feed on itself very very quickly. I right. think people are not positioned for a rally. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, people are people are definitely not generally. What are these, Mike? What are these tweets? What are these not. tweets? Um, I didn't put this in. Dan, did you? Mm. It's zero hedge. I assumed it was yeah. No, 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 no. The, the next one. The next one. Okay. I don't know what it is. FRC put. equals the ultimate con- contrarian investment right now. Did you put that in? Oh, yeah. That was that was the point we talked about earlier where there's just this oh, issue of, right. of how do you just – you gotta you have to justify stuff right now versus what you can get on cash. And then as you go out, you need – you know, you really just need to make sure you're getting paid for the risk you're taking. I don't think we need to go through that particular yeah. tweak. We already talked so, about that. So this is interesting from Quintanilla. This is from the JP Morgan desk. The desk is eerily quiet outside of financials. Investors continue to grapple with deteriorating fundamentals. Everyone is bearish and positioned accordingly, making shorts hesitant to press and contrarian bulls hesitant to buy. <laughs> My mind is now wrapped <laughs> in a pretzel. So yeah, bo- bullish? Exactly. <laughs> what do you even do? What do you even do with that information? Nothing. Hopefully nothing. Hopefully no one's doing anything. Put this chart up. Uh, stocks in the S&P moving together. This is like a this good is five year rolling though, so it's a bit of a yeah. weird time period, but, but still, it's a good refresher though. This is like exactly what happens when there's tension or fear in the market. No, but I think I, no, 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 no. Forget about this, Josh. It's, we're looking at five years. Just if you go from 1995 to today, the slope is upwards. I think this is what a lot of people that are mad about index funds and ETFs are it's pissed an ETF off. ETF effect is that the, it's yeah. gradually going higher. Yeah, is that stocks are moving together? And how yeah. else do you explain this? It depends. Well, it depends how you measure it. There, I mean, there. Are, it's just changing. I think if you're looking at the way they're calculating this, it's definitely going to look like that. There are still other areas of dispersion. But I think kind of average day trading, there's just – in terms of the number of buys and sells that are determined by passive versus anything else, it's unambiguously a much larger share of the market now. And the way I think about the market, I think this is a little bit hyperbolic. But I think I think active management is a minority now. And I think that especially when you have times where things are relatively illiquid – Active as an aggregate entity tends to move all at once. You know, everybody gets scared. And so, you know, there's just this weird dynamic. And I think it's part of why you see like a puke and then when uncertainty goes away. The question is, let's say the Fed does pretty much anything next week. I don't know what exactly they do that makes large pools of discretionary money wake up and go, okay, now it's time to sell. Right? It's not. A large pool doesn't have to do it. It's at the margin. Right. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But I mean – are the 401k contributions going to adjust themselves? That's, that's one way. That's I've, been saying, I've been saying that for 12 right. years. That's permanent. So when things are illiquid and you've already had a vomit, if the selling – you don't need additional selling. If the selling just slows, the, there is this consistent bid. And if that ever reverses, look out below. But as right. long as that's continuing. Will. It never will. It's trillions um, of dollars. It's, it's coming in regardless – of what the Fed does. And by the way, I hear people in, in, in the in the headphones say, oh, just wait. For what? It's it's not happening. People 401k are, outlawed people, people by are, Congress. People are not going to say, hey, you know what? 
I don't want to retire. I don't want to contribute to my retirement account tomorrow. It's never going to happen. Well, I think in order for that to happen, things would already have to be so bad that that's a smash glass emergency situation. And I, I, I was talking about it with a friend of mine who kind of thinks that eventually pa- the passive move will reverse. Never. And well, the argument I had with him is I said, he said that would happen, and then I think the, the market could be down 80 or 90 percent. And I said, no, 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 no. I think if the market is down 80 or 90 percent, then that happens. Right. That's, that's exactly right. right. That's, that's, but you know, when I stop contributing to my retirement account, if right. a meteor strikes us tomorrow, then I'll, then I'll hit pause. But it's, so but here, it's, it's, it, it, would you even think about it? It's right? every two weeks. It's every two weeks. Right. Uh, a certain dollar amount, come hell or high water, is going into IRAs, 401k. It's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Buybacks are another area right. where, I mean, we now have 10 years worth of data, up markets, down markets, good economy, bad economy. If you're waiting for that COVID, to happen, you can wait forever. Right. right. You're waiting for buybacks to stop supporting the S&P 500. Are you f-ing crazy? Like that's, that's look what we've already seen. It, ha- it didn't happen during COVID. Right. You think, w- what is the reason why all of a sudden that level of support will go away? Well, I think one of the, one of the things is if you look at the last 10 years, every time there's been a freak out in the market. Yeah. I think what net happens is active management loses more market share to passive because they freak out, yes. they sell the bottom, they make dumb decisions, or, you know, and this is part of the other issue. Like there are some active managers that are very good where over time they actually do outperform the market and yada, yada, yada. However, if you're a client who is not engaged with markets, you don't really care. Yeah. And if you are engaged with markets, the heartburn a lot of them get from watching that guy whip around along the way versus just okay, all this happened and I still just made a reasonable return on the S&P. Yeah. There's still just this natural game theory problem of, from the customer's perspective of just going to passive. And, and then the, the issue is that every time we have one of these big volatility shocks- You lose 10% of the active crowd right. to passive. That's true. And then the second the active is done, pa- done panicking, the market just starts levitating. It's again. not a coincidence that on the heels of the GFC, Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street became- the number right. one, two, and three asset managers in the world. Right. It's, D- like, it's not coincidental. Dan, I want your opinion on this. I, I, I forget who told me this. I was in Miami a few weeks ago, and I think Tom, I was talking about this with Tom Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, Shout out to Tom. Tom's the best. So this really hurt my brain, mm-hmm. but I want your take on this. Somebody was on, I think it was Bloomberg, talking about the democratization of finance or whatever. I hate that. But just this idea that if every American started to invest. Let's just say we just said every American gets auto deposits, whatever. Mm-hmm. That started doing active investing? Just, no, just just into the market. Okay, just, yeah, even yeah, if it's yeah, S&P 500, yeah, yeah. just index yeah. investing. If every American all of a sudden invested, returns would have to go down because if we're just dividing up the pie, everyone would own a thinner slice or, of the pie. Or average no. PE multiples would gravitate closer to, you know, 30 than 20. But so the reason the reason why I found this somewhat compelling, or at least why it hurt my head, is like, all right, well, if there are two hundred twenty five dollars worth of earnings per share, right, and there are a finite number of shares, the more people that are involved, the less shares I have, or the, the thinner my slice is relative to the overall pie. But there well, no, aren't a finite no, number no, of shares. No, yeah, that assumes well, that assumes they're giving they're issuing new shares every time. Not everything's like Bitcoin, share, Michael. Finite, finite number of There's shares. no finite there, number. There is a finite number of earnings. There's a finite level of earnings. Yeah. So if everybody is in, 
does that? I is this completely? Why is there a finite level of earnings? Well, the S and P can only earn. All right, let me help you out. If everybody starts investing, theoretically, uh, everyone has capital. Which means they might spend more in the economy, which means right. earnings might wait, be wait, higher. We just, we, I mean, I, my, 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 I don't know, counterpoint. My point would be we, we just, just re injured his ankle with this question. We just <laughs> ran this experiment. Yeah, this we this did was it. COVID. We just did this. It did Everything it go well. went up. Yeah. And th- th- here's the reality Passive has a lot of great things for it. It's a great solution for most people, and it probably provides a better outcome overall. But it also not only doesn't think, it can't think. And we are getting to a point where you are starting to really choke out anyone in the market that's allowed to price. And so you're, you, you have these things happen where you have what happened last year and the year before. And what's happened as long as markets have existed. Everybody's coming in. Markets are – things are trading based on vibes, headlines, whatever. Memes. You know, whatever. It, yeah. it, it, just, it just flows. And then when you have something that grabs attention on top of po- positive flows, it can go nuts. But these things become totally dislodged from earnings. And then whenever there's a change in liquidity, you have these crashes. And I think there's a reason the market is kind of this very smooth momentum and then elevator down pattern. There's, we're not seeing, you know, I think the main difference in the last 10 or 20 years is really since like 2002, 2003, you're not seeing these like grinding, chopping extended periods. Really? You're seeing like these rally ramps, crash, rally crash, crash. Yeah. Right? And I do think there's a question of like – because one of the things that I disagree with some of like the blogs I read is that, you know, a lot of people are using like back to 2008 or back to 2000 or whatever when they make these arguments. And nobody means to make a you know, improper argument obviously. But if you go back further than that, like the way prices have moved the last 10 or 15 years is very different than most of history. But wait, but don't you th- – the crashes that we've seen. So yeah. COVID uh, – the December 2018, I believe it was. Right. Don't you think these crashes would have occurred if it was only active managers? Oh, it'd probably be worse. My my point is not like where we ended up. It's more this this like no no decline period, and then it's just really just the momentum pattern, and then the puke, and then the momentum pattern, and then the puke. And there's this weird thing of like it's a game that's being played repeatedly and whoever wins the last game gets to play the next game and the losers don't get to play the next but game. But what's driving that game? I, well, it's I, I think federal, it's, it's the, the federal ro- reserve. Well, I think it's the, there's, a, there's a, several dynamics. It's very complicated. There's a rotation from, from active to passive. There is a reduction in the diversity of, of frameworks being used on the active side. You've got federal reserve, cost of capital. And generally like also the other thing that I think maybe is missed is with rates going to zero and returns getting compressed – Part of returns getting compressed is there isn't enough room for fees. There's not enough room for fees or expenses there on the return. Because if you're making 5%, you can't pay 150 basis points of fees, which means you can't afford to have people checking things or or evaluating risk. Where have returns gotten compressed? Because the S&P is up like 13% of the last decade or whatever it is. Well, I'm talking about in terms of like – Let's ignore stocks because stocks are ultimately priced based on opinions and flows. But let's look at maybe fixed income or something where there's actually shorter dated fixed income where you're talking about actually a cash yield, right? We're talking about just cash yield, not prices on opinions. As that yield comes in, you know, if you're earning – if somebody comes to you and says, hey, guys, I got a real estate deal for you, it'll make, it'll make 50% a year. You'd probably say, get out of my office. <laughs> but if you didn't say that, you'd probably call somebody and say, hey – can you take a look at this and like do some diligence and make sure this is legit and you're willing to spend some money to make sure this is for real? 
And you can do that when you're going to make 50%, right? You could do that when you're going to make 25%. But if you're making 4%, you cannot afford yeah, to do diligence. Yeah, it's a huge chunk of the return. Right? Well, so now that Fed funds are over 400, do we think that we're entering a completely new regime? Well, that's the thing. If, if returns in terms of yields blow out, then all of a sudden there's, there are vigs left for a lot of different types of things to happen. But it'll manifest itself differently. You're not going to get back the second and third tier broker dealers with all the analysts covering all not. the stocks. But isn't that good? You won't get that. Isn't, isn't having interest rates mean something good? It should. You know, the theory would be that it leads to more intelligent capital allocation. I think that's out the window. I think that's over. But um, <laughs> I, I, I just think like, because the issue is, Yields compressed, capital's gone to very, very large institutions, and then you just have a cost problem. Like JP Morgan Chase is not lending to like a car dealership in Topeka or something like that. Like they, they don't have the willingness, the manpower. It's not worth their time to do a what, to vet that dealership. To go vet a pet store a in St. Louis. So this is the wor- yeah. this is the worrying thing about the regional banks right. going down. Yeah, now they the will issue- do that. Yeah. It, 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 it could dial up income inequality and things like that as well. You know, if you just have – if all of a sudden small local businesses have much harder access to capital, but there's absolutely no impact on larger businesses. Yeah. The banks will lend to people that don't need to borrow it in the yeah. first place That's freely. That's the rule one-on-one of lending. 100%. Lend to people who don't need the money. Hey, can we talk about Barney Frank? Dude, this is the best thing ever. Oh, Bar- Barney Frank? Oh, let's do this first. Okay. Well, I mean, we're – All right. So, 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 no, you go. So Larry Summers tweeted – SVB committed one of the most elementary errors in banking, borrowing money. He's in so the sh- smart, you guys. B- borrowing money in the short term and investing in the long term. When interest rates went up, the assets lost their value and put the institution in a problematic situation. So this got quote tweet dunked into oblivion. I just want to read some of the quote tweets because they were amazing. Somebody said, "Is this a bit?" <laughs> Somebody goes, first rule of banking: never do banking." <laughs> Somebody else wrote, "Former Treasury Secretary learns how bank works." Somebody else wrote, I have to assume the former Treasury Secretary meant something more nuanced and it was lost on Twitter because he literally he literally just said that an elementary error in banking is being a bank. <laughs> All banks borrow short of that long. That's the model. That's fractional banking. So Larry Summers replied to himself, as one does, and said, responding to some of the comments here, of course banks borrow short and lend long. But properly managed and supervised banks limit duration mismatch between liabilities and assets. So they're kept, whatever, it doesn't matter. Great, 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 great tweet, sir. Like, what, why? If you're Larry Summers, what, what is the upside of, t- I understand the downside. Somebody gets really pissed off and like physically wants to harm you. And then anything else that could go, what is the upside? It's just a bit killed me. I was, I was cackling. No, like what it, the upside is he gets 500 likes. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Is that why this is done? Is it? Can anybody fill me in Maybe on what he gets the, endorsements? You know, he can become an influencer. What, like Gatorade? <laughs> I mean, I like, I'm because he is influential. That's the whole. He doesn't need anything. He was in the White House. Do you stay as, with Larry Summers? As, as, president as, long of Harvard? As, as long as I've been aware of Larry Summers, he's a guy. He's like a Kardashian. He's been famous for being famous. Yeah, and like I'm but aware. I'm saying, aware that he did also very saying crazy shit. That. Well, yeah, he just it's like a Skip Bayless vibe. No, he was in the Social Network. Uh, was he? I don't know, I don't know. He played a role in Zuckerberg, quote unquote, stealing Facebook he was the president from uh, oh, yeah, the yeah. Winklevi. Yeah, I mean, I don't. He like I, mediated I think, as a student. I think dispute. it is. I think he Same. is positively benefited by further attention. I'd put it that way. All right, Barney Frank says they shot Signature Bank in the head Sunday night. Well, that's a fact to send a message about crypto. They told. 
There's going to be a lawsuit about this. It's a fact. Well, okay. That's my opinion. Let me set this fact. up. Let me set this up. Uh, everybody knows who Barney Frank is. He's one of the more entertaining members of Congress. The during, most. The most. During the financial crisis of 08 and Dodd-Frank, the legislation that came out of that is named for him. Uh, he's a senator from Massachusetts. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's on the board of Signature Bank. Whoops. Um, he gave a really interesting interview to, I think, New York Magazine. And this oh, wait, is- wait, is this in 2018? No, this is now. Now. Now the question is, why do they react? So I'm at the, why do the regulators seize Signature Bank on a Sunday night and close it? But wait, hold on. There's, there's an important point here. Barney Frank rolled back re- his own regulation. He, I think he was involved with loosening it up. They so so the for banks to be like extra heavily regulated, if they had fifty billion dollars in assets, they were considered in that tier. He lobbied for it to go up to two fifty when he was at Signature Bank, and they were at forty seven billion dollars in assets. Yeah, of course. All right. Uh, now the question is, why did they react so harshly to what they said was our, meaning Signature Bank's, inability to give them the sufficient data? Um, I believe it was probably to send the message that even though we were doing crypto stuff responsibly, LOL, they don't want banks doing crypto. They denied that they is the New York Department of Finance or whatever. They denied that in their statement, but I don't fully believe that. Somebody ought to look and see. I wonder why are we the first bank to be closed totally without being insolvent? And if so, why? I think the DFS, the state of New York, people should have an answer to that. Hold on, let me just finish this. That's why I speculate that using us as a poster child to, quote, stay away from crypto was the reason. There's an old French expression. They were interested in the 18th century, how strict the discipline was in the British Navy. And in one case, the British Navy executed a guy for a rel- – this is Barney Frank – for a relatively minor infraction because they were worried about the behavior of all the sailors. And the French said, oh, those peculiar English, they shoot one man to encourage the others. And that phrase, pour encourager les autres, people understand what <laughs> that means. That's the only means. reason why Josh read this. He and just wanted to say that. probably working. So he like – this is a guy that was a senator – and wrote some of the most important financial legislation in American history, has a conspiracy theory that Signature Isn't Bank that was waited and closed. Is it that far-fetched? Over Bitcoin. Is it that far-fetched? I don't want to say it's a fact. I retract that. But it is of my opinion that— You think it's true. I do think it's true. I so do. why are there any companies left doing any kind of crypto? The, who? What banks are doing crypto? Um, somebody's banking so, Coinbase. Okay, JP Morgan. Somebody's banking Gemini. JP somebody's, Morgan. I mean— They're not going to shut down JP Morgan. So, okay, but Signature was like teetering. I think like twenty. Get in there. I think, I think I saw like twenty five percent of their business was. Why do New York State authorities want to close a bank? Want to uh, hurt crypto badly enough to go shut down an otherwise solvent bank? The government is not being very crypto friendly right now. I understand. What if the bank though was actually in trouble? Isn't that possible too? Yes. He, he doesn't seem to want to admit that for reputational reasons. Yeah, but I would point out we've had uh, some. We have had some explicit high-profile failures recently, right? Um, and both another bank, FTX, things like that. And we don't know what regulators and uh, cops, let's just say, found there. And so we we really oh, signature n- might be dirty. We yeah, we don't know, right? 100%. So so I wouldn't defend and, it. And I don't think that I would be shocked if a politician on a board. Uh, was aware of everything a bank was doing. And so he he what he's saying may be completely reasonable from his pr- but point of view. But he just doesn't know what they were really doing. And oh, they may have that. found some like 
Money laundering. Worse. Or worse. Yeah. So, I mean, there, we don't know. Like, I, I, I'm sure there will be enough lawsuits to litigate this. It's all going to come out. It's Any, all going to come out. Whatever that bank was up to, there's right. a reason they were killed. Right. And what if it's just crypto? I don't. Maybe it is. I, I it's would, beyond the pale for the government to shut down a crypto institution. Look, I think them. No, but here's the thing. I think them doing it. I think if it was just a we want to send a message to crypto, them doing it right then is a hey. They done, they denied it had anything to do with crypto. So how does that send the message? The, like they they responded. If anything, and it's they said no. We didn't do this because of crypto. Well, I would challenge anyone to find a crypto true believer who, as a result of them closing signature, is now like you know what. I'm actually good on crypto. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually, but, I, I, you know what? I thought no, but, crypto was a prudent investment, but after seeing a signature be closed by regulators, this I is, decided- This is crypto people's time right. to shine because crypto is at a 52-week high while legitimate banks are failing. Is it though? Bitcoin's <laughs> like 25,000 right no, now. I know you're a huge fan. I know you're a huge crypto fan. Well, no, it's just like, okay, we have one bank that, Matter. I mean, we've got we've got some. Dan, non let me answer banks. you in the style of a pomp tweet. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? No. Not one blockchain uh, requires FDIC insurance. Is that good? That's a good pomp tweet, right? That is good. Name one blockchain that requires FDIC. And and is that a fact? I think it's a fact. Yeah. Shout um, to pomp. Where are we going next? We were gonna no. We we're gonna do this Dalio thing. It's too long. Uh, TLDR. He's he's. Potentially bearish. Uh, <laughs> did you have fun on the show today, my friend? Well, we I, learned so I, much I, today. I bearishly got bullish. bullish did you bearishly get bullish? Okay. I started I start out the day like that. So, all right. You rocked it today. And we want to wish you all the best with uh, your longs, your shorts. Your it legs. It seems like you're having fun. Yeah. I know you can't talk about anything you're doing that's good. Let's not, let's not go over any lines. But it seems like you're in a good place. Everything, everything's gonna be fine. Look at you. It always is. Look at you. Yeah. Said the non-Silicon Valley Bank customer. Yeah. <laughs> Said the non-signature bank customer. That. All right, uh, let's do favorites, and then I think we're gonna go to the Pebble Bar. Are you down? Are you coming? Sounds good. Are you, um, are you in? Yeah. All right. All right. I'll start. I'll start. I love '90s movies. There, I said it. That's really a bold. No, take. wait, no, and there's more. There's more. There's though. more. So on the way home, on the way home, yes, I do like that too. On the way home from Chicago, I watched a great Chicagoan movie, mm -hmm. The Fugitive. How fucking good is that movie? Great movie. Still rocks. Yeah, so Abs good. Abs I haven't seen it in a while. It's so rewatchable. Tommy Lee uh, is really like um, incredible. The movie, and so does so does uh, Harrison Ford. It's it's like a very unusual Harrison Ford role. It's the only role where he's not like. A, dom, a, a gigantic personality. He's sort of like understated in that, Dr. Dr. Richard Kimball. I also, as I mentioned earlier in the show, watched uh, Night Falls on Manhattan. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Gandolfini, Andy Garcia, Richard Dreyfuss. It's about, it's the DA's office? Yes. Yeah. It's like internal affairs, courtroom drama, co dirty cops. I love that shit. Great. Love it. By the way, Your Honor's pretty good. Your Honor's Your Honor's season two, pretty yeah, good. it came around. And lastly, lastly, Howard Lindsay did a podcast on everything that he missed. It was awesome. It was awesome. He missed I like- gotta wait. I gotta check uh, Oh, all his the investments he missed out on? Yeah. Uh, uh, Zynga- Who was the guest on that? Himself. He just fr freestyle? I gotta Zynga, listen to Twitter. It was great. It Shut was, so just Howard being self-loathing Yeah, for it was an hour. so good. That sounds great. Howard was, does self-deprecating better than most. Yeah, because it's legit. And it's funny. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I listened to the Acquired podcast, did a whole episode on LVMH. They're great. They're gr those guys are great. It's, it was two hours, 45 minutes. And basically what they do is they read- like they both read the same books. They read like five or six books on a topic Yep. and they just go in and it's a fairly unstructured conversation. At the end, there were takeaways. Like what could other entrepreneurs learn from this? Yep. 
The Bernard Arnold story is fucking incredible. Like I don't know how it's not a movie already. I don't understand. This should be. This would be if this were a Netflix series. Who would play him? Bernard Arnault in you the seventies and then the eighties and then the nineties. Jared Leto. People don't even understand. He owns. No, no, no. I, I don't think so. I think you want to use the Frenchman from Chalamet. <laughs> well, Ocean's Thirteen. The bad guy is a French. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that guy? Vincent Cassell. Cassell. That guy wow. kills. I mean, he might yeah. be too old now. So the story, the story of Bernardo Nolte, who now controls. Oh, it's a great call, Duncan. This guy's a great actor. Yeah, yeah. and he's French. Seventy um, percent of the luxury market, or some yep. crazy number. Uh, basically, he owns everything that's not Gucci, the, like the entirety of of. Right. Uh, um, so those guys did a great job. I highly recommend everybody check out uh, that episode. The second one is Michael and Ben had Dr. David Kelly from J.P. Morgan Asset Management on this week. Uh, it was their talk your book episode this week. You guys were great. He's amazing. That was like a macro conversation that was like actually worthwhile. He's amazing. That guy knows what he's talking about. Um, David Kelly. So check out Animal Spirits from this Monday if you didn't get it. Duncan, you listen to that or you just edited it? I, I haven't yet. Okay. Check it out. Very, very good. Very good episode. John, you edited it? Yeah, it was on the back end. It's like one of the few that you were actually listening to as you were doing it. You were into it? He was okay. Great. He was great. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was great. All right. Uh, Dan, bring us a favorite. All right. Well, you brought, I, I got two. You brought up movies. I, I recently rewatched a movie that I, I'm going to argue is the greatest movie ever made. It's not the greatest film ever made. Okay. Movie. I'm not a film got guy. It. This is going to have Adam Sandler in it. Face Off. Face Off is good. I was going to guess The Rock. I swear I've only to God. seen it once. Oh, um, you! It, I I think I probably watched it ten or fifteen years Cage ago. Cage Travolta. Cage Travolta playing each other. John and then Woo, the director. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. they're playing yeah, each other, years. playing each other, yeah. playing each yeah. other. It's it a face is. Melter. It is so insane. <laughs> it is. It and every scene. It seems like the writers' room was having like a bit going where they'd write a scene and then they'd bet money on who could top that scene. Every scene throughout the movie, okay. everyone is trying to one up the last scene, Wait, and you know, there's no CGI. How it's all great practical is like, effects. Like the jail with like the electric boots or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The magnetic boots. Right. So Nicolas Cage ripped off Face Off, Con Air, and The Rock in like 36 months. Yeah. I mean, what a what a legend! Yeah, incredible. And Snake Eyes, which was not as good, but yeah. did you like? So, did you smile when on the Super Bowl, the T-Mobile commercial with Travolta? Oh yeah, like you haven't seen him do anything for yeah. a while, and then he just and then he just like pops up in this random wireless. Phone he's like Mister Cleaned Up and ready to go. Yeah, but he crushes it. He, he's like, a, oh yeah, I like that. I guy. thought he was like auditioning to be Bruce Willis. Now I thought yeah. that was what he's was happening. He's a great looking yeah. bald. So I'd say that was that'd be my movie. Is oh. Just rewatch that. It's incredible. Speaking of Bruce Willis and John Travolta, I yeah. rewatched Pulp. I, I mean, I've seen that a billion times. Right. But I haven't seen it in probably fifteen years. Yeah. We can't go down a pulp rabbit hole. No, no, no. no, no. no. I will just say one thing. It's, it's so much aged incredibly, incredibly, incredibly. Right. But it, it it does feel a little bit old. I mean, it is. It is an old movie. Thirty years. Yeah, old. it is. It is. I, I I don't I I love that movie. But anyway, so my other my other favorite would be uh, Rick Rubin released his yep. book after a long time and um, not the creative. Bag, I own the book. I haven't read it, but I own it. The creative back. <laughs> I my my like uh, this is investment advice. Instead of like trying to day trade this market or whatever, go read that book. It's an incredible book. while you day trade. It's an incredible book on investing. Uh, really, anything any craft you have, it is just packed full of things where you're just like, oh, duh, I should be doing that. It's just a lot of wisdom, really, really insightful stuff, a lot of good process stuff. I think he said he wanted to try to write a timeless book, and it's one of those things you read it through the first time, and you're like, if I read this in two years, I'm going to read a different book. Uh, it's I kind of a it. mirror, so definitely recommend that one. Dan McMurtry, ladies and gentlemen. How about, how about that? 
All right, so that was the first half. We're wearing these and wigs to the, uh, to the bar, right? I'm not wearing that wig, so uh, there's, there's, no, there's no way. Um, do we have anything else else to do or we get out of here? That's it. That's it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Hey, uh, where can we follow Dan? On Twitter, at SuperMugatu? Yes, sir. Do you, is anyone telling you to change your handle now that you're, like, respectable? Or... Respectable. He wore, brought us fucking green wigs. True. You're not respectable. You My, brought these. Michael, yeah. this wasn't my idea. Michael just reminded me you're not respectable. All yeah. right. Uh, Dan is at Super Mugatu on Twitter. Anywhere else? You're not writing, are you? Good. No. Keep it all inside. I don't have. I don't have time. That's what that. I always say. Bottle it up. Yeah. Until it's too late. It's Irish tradition. All right, Dan. We love you. Fan favorite. Thank you so much for coming back. You're the man. Hey, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. We'll see you next time. Dude, there was like a few times where I was like, I, 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 I